On this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I do a new structured podcast where we ask each other personal questions about each other. And we wax philosophical on how great we are. Uh, we do a little bit of recap on the Celtics and tilted moments, and we talk a little bit about some of the stuff Rufus has been working on. And then we end with some pick issues. Maybe one, maybe one NBA and MLB pick that if we get through this quick enough, it'll be uh, useful to you. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where Jeff. Jeff's audio is going to be not great because I don't have my microphone and I'm actually traveling right now in LA. That's Business travel new. is back, Rufus. Business travel's back. It's very Jeff. Exciting. I mean, you never travel. Uh, I'm trying that to was do a little bit more, like leaving my little bubble and getting out there. So I came down to LA and I've had a, a really cool trip. Um, I was brought down here by a VC fund that I'm an advisor to called Spider Capital. And I have some really cool meetings. I played golf yesterday at Wilshire Country Club. And um, I met with, I told you, Adrian Gonzalez, which was really cool. Um, Adrian is an awesome dude um, and has a pretty cool software startup that he wanted some advice on. The dude is like a serious entrepreneur. He owns like, I think like 17 Jersey Mikes. And he you know, does a beer brand and a bunch of micro brew and all this kind of stuff. And he's also still working for the Dodgers um, and he does TV stuff for them. So he's, he's very busy. And, and uh, what was more impressive than anything about him is he's like an incredible family man. He's like dropping his daughters off for school and things like that. He just seems like a, an awesome dude. And what was interesting is um I probably shouldn't get into a lot of this, but he was kind of like explaining a lot about the Red Sox ownership and the struggles that he had. And, uh, you know, the reason, the real reason he left, um, he was never one to sort of play out his own agenda in the press. So a lot of like why he left and the, the challenges that that, because there was that whole, I don't know if you remember this with the Red Sox, but they had that whole, the year that he was there, they had that whole meltdown in August where they like lost a huge lead and didn't make the playoffs, I think. And, you know, they had a bunch of their pitchers were hurt and that was the primary reason, but like the, and, you know, management didn't go out and get more pitchers for them. And um, they kind of blamed it on this whole idea that the Red Sox pitchers were in the clubhouse. They're eating like fried chicken and beer all the time. There was like this meme about them. Oh, I remember this. Yeah. And he's, he said it was all BS that essentially that that was like the sort of ownership way of kind of, you know, like positioning them in a, in a, in a sort of negative light. Um, and, you know, the reality control the narrative, like, CTN, that, that that's why they ended up fi- firing Tito. Right. And I think it's turned out that Tito Francona is a pretty damn good baseball coach and probably, probably wasn't the right 
firing him probably wasn't the right move and then bringing in do you remember who they brought in after him um it wasn't Cora, was it no, no. he has a sandwich well, named after him who was it bobby valentine oh god he's yeah no yeah bobby valentine and his mustache remember that I don't remember. Do you, I don't when remember he, got, he got thrown out of a game during this was the Subway series, I think. And he put on a disguise and came back into the dugout. He had this mustache and hat, his cap, and he was easily recognized. Anywho, but um, really enjoyed meeting him. Um, have a cool meeting later today with a woman named Kara Nortman, who is a star of something called Monarch Collective, which is all about <coughs> investing in minority owned teams and getting um, women's sports and women ownership more prevalent in the sports world. Um, so that's and exciting. And I'm going to see what's up. And you're saving money by staying in a hostel. Is that right? No, I'm staying in the hotel Sofitel, which is like, uh, it's fine. It's in Beverly Hills. It's not, it's not swanky or anything. And um, again, like I'm down here on someone else's dime because I'm, I'm poor right now. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing that. Uh, how's the baseball betting been going? It's, uh, ste- steadied. I would say it's not, okay. we're not having a big comeback yet, but it's, it's kind of steadied and we we've had about a, I'd say treading water. I mean, it's, it's incredible though. In this, in this run, we've probably lost no fewer than, I don't know, 25, 30 ninth inning leads. And we have not had we have not had one that we've come back in. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. I mean it's it it sounds like betting baseball, honestly. When things are going poorly, they go poorly. No, no, no. I I a hundred percent agree. But like you know how like when you want to look at things, often you kind of look at them and you try to be as as fair on your results as possible. And you're like, how do I how do I evaluate this fairly without without being like someone who's constantly bitching, oh, we're getting so unlucky. We're getting so unlucky when the reality is like you're only remembering the unlucky times. Right. So I'm like looking at a couple of things. I'm looking at like one run leads. I'm looking at like ninth inning comebacks. And like we literally have not had one ninth inning comeback. <laughs> and yesterday, yesterday, yesterday brutal. we had uh this week we've basically been about even. And you know, we had like a great day on Tuesday and a bad day yesterday. And um within those days like i think our one run our our record in one run games this week so far is like one and six or something like that one and seven you know and we lost two ninth inning leads yesterday um it's just i agree with you like I, i i think it's just like but you would expect at some point some of these things to to become a little bit more even right yeah Unless you're playing in the bad bullpens, unless no. you're consistently betting on really bad bullpens or something like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're betting, if you're betting more underdogs, typically also you're gonna you're gonna have more of those just in general because we're, they're we're gonna not lose. though. We're betting a lot of just as a because because as a fraction of well, yeah, a fra- yeah. We're not. I agree with you, but we're not actually. We're not betting a lot of big dogs or anything like that. We're betting a relatively even distribution, like. It's not, there's no, there's no bias one way or the other. I mean, I think the, maybe the one thing that, no, even now we're betting more home teams. I don't know. 
I mean, I, okay. I, I feel, I still feel fine about it. We're getting good CLV in most cases, like, um, you know, the, the, uh, it all makes sense to me. I'm just, I'm just waiting for it to really turn. I thought it was going to turn this week because we had a really good Tuesday and we'd just been kind of like having reasonable days. And, um, then yesterday was a bad day. So back to square one. How about you? Did you have a good bounce back from the PGA? Uh, we did not. We had we had a second straight losing week. It was not as bad as the PGA because there wasn't as much volume, but it certainly wasn't good. Are you feeling bad or are you like whatevs? Uh, well, it makes me feel kind of poor um, <laughs> a little bit because I'm spending so much money right now. House? Right. And so, right. Losing at the time I'm buying a house doesn't feel like good. But uh, I have a lot I've been working on. I should say we've been working on on the golf modeling production pipeline side. So we we've revamped weather, and that was that was all tele, Telemachus pulling in. I mean, we sort of have more of a probabilistic weather forecast now, and and essentially simulated weather as well. So. Um, uh, I, I think that's going to make a, a pretty big difference. Um, well, maybe not a pretty big difference. It's a fairly small thing, but it's it, it will make a difference for sure. I mean, the thing is, Jeff, the thing that's been hard for me lately to motivate, it, it's hard for, been hard for me to motivate uh, myself. And I think part of the reason is that every project I'm working on is like making small changes or like making the data organization better. Or it, it's not, it's like little little gains on the margin. And, and changing processes that are already in place rather than actually building something new. And I think I get more passionate about, about building something new. Hmm. So why don't you build something new? It sounds like a lot of work. I, I need to be motivated. I need something new that, that I want to build. I mean, what's something new that you want to bet on? Is there something, I mean, is there, is there an, well, a new avenue? Here's the new... thing, Jeff, these things I need, these things need to be done right now in golf. There are things that will make my life much easier if, if I can build them, it'll allow my, allow me to be less involved, allow things to be more automated. It'll give, it'll free me up to build new things. What do you want to build Rufus? That's a good question. I want to start. I want to start writing again. I talked to you about this. I said I should write a book, and you said you said I should have a Substack first. And I think that was a good that was a good call. I mean, I think before you write a book, you need to write a paragraph. (laughs) Before you write a paragraph, I mean, I, I also just think that books are a, you know, if I end up doing this documentary on, on twenty one and whatnot, I'll probably write another book because. That's just what you do when you you've written a lot of books in the limelight, and so um, I definitely have some interesting angles that I want to. You, you know, like uh, have you heard about Kyle Snyder? You know, Kyle Snyder is no. He was a pitcher, um, but he's the pitching coach at um, oh. the Rays. Is he like White Sox? Who am I thinking of? He was of- he was at um, his. I think his biggest years were at uh, Minnesota, but I'm not. I don't remember for sure. He's like I oh, get him and. Who's the pitcher for the, who's the contact pitcher for the Orioles now? Uh, He's had like two or three really good starts. What? Kyle Gibson. Yeah. So I always get those guys mixed up. 
Um, we've been we've been on Gibson the last two or three two or three games, which is where Kyle Snyder was a Red Sox, not a White Sox. He wasn't a what Red Sox for long though, was he? He was a Red Sox two thousand. He pitched. Let's see, one hundred and ten innings as a Red Sox, a Red Sox and a Royal. Yeah, Royal. That's what the Royal is. What it, what I what I remember a, him from. Okay, he was so, a Red Sox two thousand six to two thousand eight. And so supposedly he is it. a very supposedly he is a very very good communicator of analytics to his pitchers, and he, um, you know, the Rays have a ton of analytics, obviously, and that was actually one of the things I talked to Adrian Gonzalez about a little bit about like just the teams that really are employing analytics in their baseball. You can't stuff. forget the Orioles with that. Um, but the Orioles don't come from the Andrew Friedman Dodgers tree. Right, they're their own yeah. analytics group, right? So the the, the from teams the that kind of come out of that, what's that? The Sigma Doll tree, right? The the teams that come out of the that tree are more the Braves, I guess, have some the Rays, um, the Dodgers, and um, anyways, the point is that if you look at a guy like Zach Eflin, I don't know if you followed him this year, but he's been like lights out, and he. Um, supposedly like one of the reasons that he's done well is because of a lot of the analytics that they've kind of given him and he's really caught on to it. And I guess one of the things that like teams like the Dodgers and Rays do is they get um, a ton of these types of pitchers into camp and try to work with them. And, you know, one out of 10 of them will really hit and get it. Well, Eflin was a free agent contract. I mean, he was not like a minor league deal or anything like that. But he was not like an incredibly highly thought of pitcher right i mean this year he's uh he had some in if i remember correctly he had some injury stuff um and so yeah last year i mean he only pitched 75 innings um i mean he had 18 starts in 2021 like only 11 the year before so he's had i mean i think that was the big thing he's been he's been a league average pitcher or better uh let's see every year since 2019 so okay so anyways, my point is, I think it's interesting to think about writing about not people that necessarily do analytics, but people that are actually able to take analytics and employ them in a way that help, you know, the practical application of analytics, right? Because It's one kind of like what Cade does in a way. Cade is very sure. good at communicating findings and things sure. like that, research. Um, okay, I'll write about Cade also, Rufus. That'll be easy yeah. because... Kate's Kate will be an easy interview. Like that'll take me an hour to an interview, and then I can write, I don't know, 10,000 words on Kate. What you're saying though sounds very much like what the Orioles are doing. They they brought in Kyle Gibson for a reason. They saw some stuff where they thought that analytics could help. Same with Adam Frazier. They brought in Aaron Hicks this week after uh, Cedric Mullins got hurt and is on the the injured list. And oh they Mullins said, is hurt. That's yeah, sad. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's gonna be too long, but they brought in Hicks and um, Mike Elias said something about how there are things that they, they think with their program um, that they don't expect him to play like he did with the Yankees basically. And so I think that, I, I think that's a huge part of the piece. It's not just getting the right guys. It's having guys that where, where, where you can kind of help them develop and improve. But I think they, to your point, they have to have that right mindset. There's certain guys that that aren't open to that and other guys that are. Yeah. So I'll say when when I see the Orioles, like, I mean, 
if they make some acquisition that doesn't seem to make sense, I'm I'm like, okay, I probably should give them the benefit of the doubt because they have a lot more data than I do. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Um the Orioles are a fun team, man. They're I'm I'm happy for you. They're like uh they're exciting to to uh, root for. Yeah, in the last week, Jeff, I went to I went I went to all three games at Yankee Stadium, three Orioles Yankees games. And they won two of three. Yeah, I was gonna say they won two or three. That's good. Before, I think we were on them in both of the games they won, which was kind of nice. I don't think we were on them in the one that they lost, which was which was fortuitous. Are you sure? I thought you were. Maybe I'm wrong. We had we had them in that one where Barry Horse had the other side and they had that huge comeback. That was the that was the Barry Horse game. And then we had them in the I think the last game in the series, which is the one they won, right? And that they was yeah, Kyle one. Gibson. Yeah, we definitely had them in the Kyle Gibson, Gibson one. It was like a he shut him out, right? Um, for seven, I guess he pitched. He pitched in the seventh, I believe. Yeah, he, he was against. He was against uh, Clark Schmidt, I think. Yeah, yeah, Clark Schmidt actually Clark pitched Schmidt. well too, right? He pitched well again last night. Uh, anyways, a lot of baseball talk. I'm sure we lost a ton of people. Uh, tilted moment. I know mine. Let's hear yours. Mine was obviously mine was in the first play of the Celtics game seven when Jason Tatum turned his ankle and essentially the the game was over at that point. Um, because you know it's interesting. Obviously, the Heat played incredibly well in that game. Um, but I wonder, I do really wonder if Tatum hadn't hurt himself, how different that game would have been, because obviously. He's a huge part of everything that they do, and he was a shell of himself the rest of the game. And I, I, that Celtics team is, I think, it many times is pretty fragile if they're not making like psychologically fragile if they're not making their threes. And with the you know, you throw in the addition of Jason Tatum, your best player, not being able to basically do anything, that fragility becomes a big, a big issue. Um, when again, they weren't making their threes, and so. It was a it was a bummer uh, way to end the season after you know that that really amazing comeback and I thought pretty well that they were going to be in a great position um, to win that game but um, God that that uh, that Miami team just not missing three pointers was a real issue. Did you have a tilted moment? Uh not really. I had a I had my reunion. It was it was a lot of fun. It was. I asked you about your tilted moment and you go to your reunion. There you go. I'm trying to think like there weren't a lot of tilting moments there. So, um, do you know that like we, I was talking to, um, to, uh, I was like texting with Diggs and he was actually like annoyed at your, our conversation last week about the Celtics and the NBA markets. And, um, he was like, he said something about you being like, incredibly arrogant and i was like what do you what did you mean and and the reason he said it and i'm interested to hear your reflection on this we started talking about the nba markets and you don't follow the nba at all and we talked about the nba markets and in the playoffs and these are markets at close that like you know have a lot of money online books are taking 150 what's that yeah, a lot of, they're very liquid markets they're very liquid and your immediate reaction was the markets must be wrong like, and I said, and I said, I said, do we know they're wrong? And he said, they must be wrong. And he's like, how can he, as someone that doesn't follow the NBA and 
is a respect respects markets, especially a liquid market like this. Just say it's wrong. The markets are wrong. Did so. I did did I say the market was wrong? Yeah, you did. I I said based. I said it seemed like an overreaction. No, you it, said it seemed like that it couldn't be you, worth we, that many points. I asked. I pointedly based asked on, the question. Yeah. Like, first off, do we know that the markets are wrong based on this like short sample size of of results? And you were basically like, the market's wrong. So, I'm I'm happy to be corrected. <laughs> well, I mean, the the he just won again, so maybe the markets are wrong. Uh, okay, we're gonna do. Something wait, wait. Today. He, he he believed he believed that big move was justified. And this is, I, I think I said, I, I can go off of my experience with, with I, I other markets that, and how that, much situational factors, bigger, hold on, let me finish, Jeff. I, let me finish. Yeah. I, I think how much situational effects are worth in other sports. And it, it just seemed to me that it's very hard to see it being worth that much. But again, I do not follow the NBA very closely. So, well, that, I think that's the more, the more interesting or the more insightful reason why he he was taking issue with you, which was that you, um, to your own, you know, admission, do not follow the NBA right. at all, yet felt justified in making a blanket statement that the market or the reaction was wrong. Well, I was asked a question that I, <laughs> you asked me a question, so I had to respond. I just said no comment on all these things. I don't. I didn't take it to be arrogance at all. Like uh -huh. I thought it was fine, but then like when he pointed it out, I was like, yeah, that is kind of true. Like Rufus did make a pretty definitive statement and something that he really is not an expert in. And you know, is that arrogance or just be giving an opinion? Yeah. So opinions are like assholes, right? Yeah. Do you know that one? Everyone's got one. So. Yeah, okay. I've, I've heard it. Um. Again, Rufus, you're just an incredibly misunderstood human being, especially hey, by Seville. That's um, fine. Do you want to do these? So we're we're going to do something a little bit different today because we got good. Re we're talking about guests, and obviously we put out on Twitter these ideas for a guest. And you know, I would love to have Diggs on sometime. I don't know if he really want to come on or not. I'll I'll text him if, if you. If I was more interested to see if you'd want to have like of a debate with him on some of this stuff, I would love to talk to him. Yeah, so maybe we'll try to have him on at some point. I'll. I'll I'd love to meet I'll up with him. You. He's in New York, right? No, he's in. No? He's in. No. I, I don't want to dox him, but I know where okay. he's in. It's not New York. Okay. Um. I so you're for being in New York once to me. No. New York area ish. Who did I refer to being in New York? It wasn't him. Um. So we're we got good comments last week that like sometimes the best episodes are when the two of us just kind of like talk and get into some deeper stuff with each other. And so hopefully maybe we'll do some of this. And we kind of had some ideas on, on putting together some questions for each other that we could kind of ruminate on. And so you guys can tell us if you end up liking this, this shtick or not. Um, we've already been kind of rambling for a little while. So maybe we don't do all, all five of these for each other, but maybe we can pick out a few of them. Um, I'll go first, Rufus. Okay. What is the proudest accomplishment of your life? So I would say that the proudest accomplishment is probably different than the thing that I was most proud of in the moment. Do you know? Okay. So I would say the thing I was most proud of in the moment was I think my result in the main state optimist championships in 1997 or 1998. 
where I, I believe I got, I don't even remember what place I got. I think it might've been, it was like top five finish. And I just remember how proud I was and, and just, because I hadn't expected to do that well. And, and I kind of competed with some of the best and it was, I, I was more proud of that than when I actually won the, won that regatta a few years later. But I think globally, I think the biggest accomplishment for me, I think is, is being able to make it in an industry where, where that is not set up for that. You know, I, when I moved to Vegas in 2008, I never, I never intended to be a professional gambler. I didn't know that was even like a career path. I, when I got to that point, I got to a point that fall where I was like, if I lost my job, I think I could grind it out and make like 30,000 a year. I could make a living. Um, it's funny to say that now. And I think getting to a point where, where I've created, you know, a lot for myself and, and, and kind of risen up and, and been one of the best people at in some of the sports that I'm, that I'm handicapping and betting. And so I think that to me, like looking back on it, I, I have a lot of pride. I've worked, I've worked really hard to get there and I'm, I'm proud of doing something different and succeeding at it. What about you, Jeff? What's my proudest accomplishment? Probably my kids. I mean, I'm proud to have two amazing, healthy, young kids that, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, probably that more than anything. I mean, obviously all the, the stuff that I've done. I don't know, like the stuff that I've done that like I get a lot of notoriety from if it makes me proud because Ultimately, I think it was a lot of luck that kind of got me there versus like really doing anything that, you know, there were a lot of people that played blackjack for the MIT team. There were a lot of people that had this similar experience that I did getting recruited into the team and obviously working with Ben Mesrick and getting that book written was a big part of, of, you know, making the story mainstream. And obviously I played a role in that. Um, but I don't know if that's like, I'm not like proud about that. Like, that's not like, you know, like pride is an, is an interesting thing. And ultimately, you know, I don't know, I guess I'm proud of the long-term relationships that I have with people that are very meaningful. Um, people that I know would kind of do anything for me. And, and then ultimately, like, I think I'm proud of, proud of my kids um, and proud of like having, you know, awesome, healthy kids that I think will, you know, hopefully one day be awesome adults and grownups. I like that answer a lot. And it makes me, it, it makes me think, I mean, for a long time, I, I thought my identity, Jeff, was being a successful sports better. Cause that's kind of what gave me confidence back when I was 22 years old, 23. Mm -hmm. And, and I think the last few years I've been on this journey. Um, no, I've, I've, I've really, I've realized that my identity isn't that it's, it's the person I am. And I think that's, I think your answer is very much about the person you are, not your accomplishments. And I like that. Yeah. Um, you question for me. Oh yeah. So this is actually a question. This is kind of, I'm sort of stealing this a little bit from Peter Jennings to ask me this back in his backyard and, September of 2021 in a slightly different way, but, but it's maybe the best question I've ever been asked. But my, my question is what adjectives would you use to describe yourself the way you see yourself? 
like not how the world sees you. What makes you fundamentally you in your eyes? Um, like five, five adjectives, three to five. I think organic, um, principled, um, direct, honest, and funny. There we go. Okay. How about uh, you think? What do you think of those? I think they're good. I think it's the kind of question that if you come back to it, it might change. Like, I can't imagine answering it if I hadn't thought about it for a while. Because I've actually thought about it a lot. Um, Okay, my five are number one, curious. Uh, I feel like that should be, I think you understand that. Number two, kind. Number three, accepting. Number four, resilient. And number five, loyal. What do you think are, of those? I think those are good. I think kind is a. I Look, mean, I it's, it's not the good one, but it, what's that? Well, okay, maybe maybe I should describe it differently. It's it's not something I'd actually thought of myself as, but I'm not somebody that had like you know this, Jeff. I don't get angry. I, I feel like I, I I'm never intentionally malicious to people. I'm. <clears throat> My my dad actually said said this to me last year that that I'm the only person that he knows that has he's never seen be intentionally mean to anybody. And that includes when I was like a kid with my two siblings. And so I hadn't actually thought of myself as like that is a sort of fundamental part of who I am. But I think I, I mean I realize it is something. It, it is something that matters to me. It doesn't mean I'm always considerate or anything like that, but I'm never gonna I'm never gonna try to hurt somebody. That's interesting. It's like the opposite I think my oldest addictive. son, going going back to this whole idea of like kindness and like what you're proud of, like my oldest son is inherently has moments where he's not kind. And I wonder if it's like, you know, how that's like brought up in someone or nurtured in someone. And I wonder how I try to make him be kinder or think more kindly, right? Like it's it's hard to think about because I do want him to be more kind. Um, let's see here. Okay. What, who, what is the most fun round of golf you've ever played? Hmm. I think it actually might be this round. I played with my brother last year at Cabot Cliffs in a... I knew it was going to be Cabot Cliffs. Well, this is the... I'm sure there is more fun ones, but this is the one that that I can remember at least, where it was blow it, it was pouring down rain, wind blowing sideways, and we just we had we had already played 18 holes at Cabot Links without proper rain gear, and it was like 55 degrees, and we were absolutely like soaked and miserable. And we bought some rain gear uh, between rounds you know, bought actual rain gloves, um, which are, which are amazing. I actually use them now in, in non-rain conditions. Um, they just hold up better, but the, we, it, you know, it's one of those rounds where just like, I don't know, you're, you're, you just accept the discomfort of it and, and it just becomes fun. And then 
towards the end it, it cleared and it was out it was just beautiful the last few holes i don't remember nice. what i shot it wasn't very good but it was it was one of the situations where you accept the conditions and you're just like it, it, you're like a kid stomping in puddles again nice what about what, what's your answer for that um mine was probably this this round at cyprus that i recently played i mean um you know a lot of how much you like around is how well you played, right? At least for me. And and I played well. And um, I was just kind of like lost. You know me, I'm like a very bad phone person. I don't think I checked my phone once during the round. Like I just played and just enjoyed it and just was in the moment. And the actual, um, the round was just awesome. Like, and, and what's funny too, is I didn't have any drinks at all because there wasn't, when you're an unaccompanied at Cyprus, you, you're kind of like a second-class citizen in some respects, but like, um it was just a, it was a different kind of golf experience than i than i've ever had and i i really enjoyed it um okay your next question yeah yeah okay so in what ways have you grown and evolved as a person since we started this podcast oh god i mean i think i think that when i reflect back on you know, like the, there were times in this podcast, I think where people would be like, why are you such a dick to Rufus? And I think that I, um, have calmed down a lot in my under, like I've, I've developed an under, like, like my understanding of you as a human has changed a lot and has made me like this morning is a perfect example, right? Like I'm in, on an LA trip. I'm like on a tight schedule. We're supposed to start at seven 30. Like we didn't end up starting until I don't know, whatever, seven 45, seven 50. And, you know, I think in the past I would have gotten very frustrated. And today I was just kind of like mellow. And I think, you know, there's certain things in my life that I think I've, I've mellowed out in a fair amount. Um, and for for in our relationship, sort of understanding you and your limitations, um, like in where like I need to help you or where where I need to show you compassion or where I need to show you some grace, like that's like evolved a lot over time. Ooh, this is a backhanded compliment, huh? It's, there's no comp. There's I, I don't even know. There's no compliment, compliment at all. Like it's it's really it's really just this. I mean, you, you and I talk about this all the time, right? There's like we know that. Like if you were to put a percentage in terms of the effort that we put into this podcast, it's definitely slated to me, right? Like it's, it's just the way it is. And like, it's okay. Like you bring something to this podcast that no one else could, right? You have a perspective on betting and you are a real better, like, you know, like a lot of these BS podcasts that are out there right now, they'll talk about like, oh, we have professional better, you know, Simon Hunter or whatever on it. And like, no one really believes this dude's a professional better, but like, and, and then like when people say like, oh, does Rufus even win? It's like some people, well, some people don't believe I'm a professional better. I know, but like, I know you are. And anyone that's really in the business knows you are right. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We don't ever have to like, that conversation is like a very dumb conversation because you are like, if you go to someone like the most respected people in the world, like that embedding, like David Al or anyone like that, they're going to, they're going to rever, revere about Rufus Peabody, right? And so that's like, as a sports better, that sort of real organic, you know, like when you think about our podcast, especially like, 
if you think about something like circles off, right? Like circles off, they have so many of these like niche professional betters or even not niche, like real professional betters, I'm sure on that, you know, I've never heard of or whatnot, but like they have like reasonable Twitter followings and I'm sure they're smart or whatnot, but it's just a different, their stick is like different than ours. Like ours is, is, I think it, it, it does need to be very much about like you and, and, and your, like your, your thinking and your strange way of communicating and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think we're that very different. I think we're very different and we're complimentary. Sure. But we just, my question, I just compliment you there. See, but my so question was, how have you grown and evolved as a person since we started the podcast? And I'm not no. sure that was, was your answer basically no, but, that you've but, grown more tolerant so, of, of my, my flaws. Is that the answer? So you've been tolerant of flaws in other humans in general. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think generally I've become more aware, like in working with you. I mean, because part of this, that question part of the question underlies this idea that like something about the podcast made me change. Right. It, it isn't just the time, like you're not asking for that time frame, right? Like it has to, if it's about the podcast it has to be like, what is the podcast taught me? And, you know, also like, I think in the last year, we've been much more focused on like making this podcast more regular, higher produced, all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think we, there were times where this podcast was literally like an afterthought for us and we would just do it because we had to. And I mean, so remember I, the I beginning know. when we were scripting out everything and, and we, we put hours and hours of prep each week. That only lasted a pretty short time. Yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I think we, at the beginning, we both put in more time than we do now, but there was a time when That's we didn't put in. We like, put, I put in a lot. I put in a fair oh, amount of time. now. I know, but I put in a ton of time early on. Cause I was, yeah. I was, I, Jeff, when we started podcasting, I was like nervous when we were recording each episode, I, I, awesome. it took time for me to get comfortable. Awesome. I don't think you ever that way. Yeah. But I, I, I did sort of mean the time frame, but I was, I, I didn't know if you would use experiences with the podcast to generalize. Yeah. anyway all right move on okay. I, I wanted a great awkward silence there i'm not i'm definitely not editing that out mostly because i'm terrible at editing so um yeah and i do the editing now rufus you gotta give me some credit for that you do if you teach me to do it i can do it too it'd be just as hard for you to teach for me to teach you to do it as just continuing to do it myself um okay That's, last question. there's a lot Let's of things more... in my processes jeff that there's a reason i'm still doing a lot of things because it would be just as hard to teach somebody else as to just keep doing it each week. Just keep doing it is the easier option. Yeah. Uh, person who you'd like to invite to dinner tonight. Uh, I, I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question because I just don't like the question. Why? I don't know. It feels. It doesn't have to be like this uh, fundamentally. I mean, I'll give you my answer and it's okay. my answer is so obvious and it's my mom and you know, she's um, she passed like, uh five almost six years ago she passed actually six years ago in september she passed and um i would just love to be able to like show her have her meet my kids and like tell her how great my kids are doing and just tell her how much i miss her and i don't know it's like that one's like an easy one for me because god i wish like i could hang out with my mom again 
That's a great answer. You? I don't have a great answer. I don't have an answer at all. What about the Dalai Lama? Well, not, you, not like you know, I, I Lama, used right? Jeff. I used to say that. I used to say that even the Dalai Lama had Twitter trolls, so it's okay. Like if he gets hate on Twitter, then like it's impossible not to. But after what happened with him, that's not a good example anymore. Do you want to ask us what quality do I like least about myself? Yeah. Um. Ooh, and a follow-up is, is it something that is fundamentally innate to who you are or is it something that you want to change? Yeah, that's a really good question, honestly. I mean, the, I mean, the meaning, idea of like it... changing the things that you don't like about yourself or, is, is really interesting. Like, I, I mean, um, I, I, I want to be more present. I'm like not a incredibly present person at times like because i'm thinking about a million things or i'm you know like emailing or texting or checking scores or something like that like and and i have just become incredibly non-present in many in many ways um in many times and i think we all have an ability to be non-present because of technology which is you know obviously not a great excuse but it's just the reality um so I think I'd, I'd like to be more present um, in, in almost every situation of my life. And, and do I want to change that? Yes, I do. Do I really want to change that? Meaning like, am I willing to like really put down the phone? I don't know, man, it's hard. Yeah. And you won't change it until you decide that like, it really is important to you. Sure. That's, yeah. yeah. How about you? What's your worst quality? I would say it's my ability to, I was going to say my patience, but no, I think it's, it's my ability to, um, lack of consistency. Basically I have, <clears throat> excuse me, is I have trouble. I'm very good at hyper-focusing on things and getting very into them, but I have trouble shifting gears. And so it makes balance like very tough for me in my life. <clears throat> And I know, I think if I was better at balance, I would lose a lot of these other things that I like about myself, but it makes certain things very, very difficult for me. Got so it. That, yeah. So it is kind of a, it's a, I don't know if I, I want to change it, but I don't want to change it at the expense of, of being able to dive into things and, and get completely engrossed in them, which because that is, I think what makes, that's a big part of what makes me, me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if I were, you're critiquing you, I would say the only thing that you, I don't know. It's interesting to like, think a little bit about the way that people see you versus how like someone else sees you. Right. And like this idea of, you know, you go back to those words that you were talking about with yourself. You know, I, I think one of the things that you are a different human and like working with you is always challenging because you, of the way that your style is and, and whatnot. And that's who you are. And like, if you were to flip it, you would say like, well, I need to be accepting of who you are and, and how you work. And, and that's kind of like what I've tried to be um, throughout time. So yeah. Anyways, I don't know. I don't have a like, more... I think the accepting, I mean, I used to really, 
I used to care a lot more about what people thought of me and, and I wanted people to understand who I was. And I think at this point, the people that I care about understand who I am and that's what I, and that's what matters. Yeah. Um, do we want any, any other ones you want to do or should we move on to picks of the week and think a little bit about this week ahead for us? Yeah. Let's think, let's think about the week. Um, by the way, do you watch, you don't watch succession, do you? I've watched, I've watched most of two seasons, but mm-hmm. I kind of got bored near the end of the second season. So don't, don't give me any sort of spoiler. Cause I might go back to it, but I mean, unless you tell me it really isn't worth by, it. By the time, by the time, if I give you spoilers from this last episode that just I'll happened, probably, I'll probably forget. You're going to forget them by the time you fin- you get through the next did, three seasons. The question is, did you watch the Ted Lasso finale? I did. I'm like four seasons behind Ted Lasso or whatever, three seasons. Okay. I only watched the season first negative season one and then like kind of got like my whole, you know, thing got messed up. So no, I haven't. So we're a terrible podcast talking about pop culture because one of neither of us has seen two of the most important shows of recent memory. Maybe I'll watch Ted Lasso and, and get caught up. I think Ted Lasso is more important than succession. What makes succession so special as a show? What makes it different than other really good shows? The fact that there's I mean, no characters the that are redeeming qualities. The no. What's that? I said there's no sympathetic characters, basically. No. Well, but the, I mean, I so, you know, like the whole, I, I listen to Simmons, obviously, and Simmons talks a little bit about succession. And, you know, <clears throat> one of the things that a lot of these shows like succession the Sopranos was the first one to do it, you know, like The Wire. These shows all started portraying these people, these villains or whatnot, as like complex characters, right? Where it wasn't clear who was a good guy and who was a bad guy. Like the bad guys, like Tony Soprano, had like a lot of good to them, but also a lot of bad to them. And yes, the characters in succession are all very reprehensible but they're real characters, right? Like these are people, people are, are complicated and people are redeemable and not redeemable. And, and that, that like, that's, you asked me like, why is succession important? Um, I mean, I think it's just an incredibly well done show from a writing and acting perspective. And I think when you have a show that is that well executed from a writing and um, acting perspective you have a very unique viewing experience and then from the way that they've done the production and um i think it's a really it's a really good show and i i mean i i really enjoyed it i'm sad it's done the the finale was amazing and the finale had just an incredible i not lesson but an incredible real moment um where one of the main characters obviously made this incredibly critical decision that was grounded on very much first principles and how she analytics. made it. What? You can check first principles off your bingo card. Yeah. No, I mean, it really was in terms of when she was in the moment making that decision, I felt compelled for her to make a different decision than she did. And then when she made the decision she did, it made a lot of sense to me from a standpoint of like why she made it and it and it really just made sense and it made it, it like i think a lot of like 
finales don't always make sense and they don't and it or they tie things together too clean in a bow and like this was just a a, a quintessential decision really like the the most important decision of the entire show and she chose the, the decision she made was very grounded on principles that i think i agree with okay which was interesting so maybe one day when you watch it you'll reflect back on what i said and you'll be like oh yeah jeff was right there you go yeah lots of first principles yes uh any picks this week rufus well the golf tournament's no. already started so it becomes kind of tough Hostler? no I mean, he's already over par, probably. I'll Google and find out. He is uh, even par. I will say, I and this guy hasn't teed off yet, so um, although he will have once the tournament began, or once this gets aired, um, but I liked Cantlay a good amount. In fact, I had him almost the equivalent of Scotty Scheffler. Wow. Just a combination of some golfer-specific effects and some course-specific effects. That's exciting. Wish I had known that yesterday. Well, you can still bet on him at probably roughly the same odds. Actually, maybe better odds now because I don't think Scheffler's playing particularly well. Scheffler's too over par, and and that you know, the top of the leaderboard is Danny Willett, who I think we bet at five hundred to one. So that's, uh, I mean, he's not going to win, but that would be nice if he did. Um. Okay. Well. Do you have any Hopefully. picks? I mean, like that's the only thing I'm qualified to give a pick on because I don't. I'm, betting I'm very like I'm very um, I'm very uh, I'm like not even going to watch the basketball. I'm like very deeply <laughs> impacted by this Heat Celtics series. It really, it really was a, a tough one for me, and I'm like I'm almost like muting NBA in my Twitter stream right now because I just don't even want them to like know or hear about it or think about the heat and Jimmy Butler and this whole deal. Um, so I don't have an NBA pick. Um, I mean, conventional wisdom would say that the the nuggets are going to kill them, but that's um, also what the market is saying. So I don't know if there's a ton of value there. Um, I mean, if I get this thing out there quick enough that we do have a, we do have a, an under tonight um, in one of the baseball games, the Cleveland, Minnesota under eight minus one Oh five. It looks like right now um that's one so maybe i'll give that and try to get this this podcast out there in time for you guys to capitalize on that so with that we'll send the podcast great seeing you likewise all right we'll talk to you guys all again next week and we'll have a guest next week so it just won't be the two of us ruminating on shit all right, bye guys. Massy Peabody rankings, crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down, it seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are but the engines running off a of leaded. None of it's organic, it all sounds synthetic. That's why I fucks with Jeff Ma and his dog Rufus. No locks of the year, they just tell you what their truth is. Maybe make your pockets fatter as the bookies get thinner. Give the information, turn and losing betters into winners. Yeah. Sam Hahn, Reppin' Ruckers, Jeff Ma, Rufus Peabody, Crunching all the numbers, Massey Peabody rankings, We're looking for the edge, Analytically driven, Crunching all the numbers,